When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 240, and we are recording on July 14th. I'm Jen Northington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Hello, Amanda. Hello. Would you like a cat story? Yeah, yes. Okay. <laughs> Why is this a question? <laughs> of course I would. So as you know, I record in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> I do know this. <laughs> and there's a chair that lives in the closet that I sit in. And I often will find one or other of the cats like in the closet on the chair in between recording sessions. But today, Lulu, like I walked into the closet, usually they just get up and move. She made me like physically move her off of the chair. And I was like, Lulu, do you want to do the show today? Like, should I just have put my cat on the show today? It was very tempting. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, bring her on. Yeah, I'm right. It's just quiet cat breathing. She's got opinions. She's, you know, cats have lots of opinions. <laughs> it feels like that would just be ASMR, you know, like that YouTube <laughs> phenomenon with just like a cat quietly purring into a microphone, laying on top of it. Yeah, right. <laughs> she does have a solid purr, I will say. <laughs> All right. Enough about my cats. How this show works. How does this show work? Let's find out. It is a reading recommendation show, like we said at the top, which means you can send in questions about what you should read next, how to find a book that matches your favorite book. Maybe you need recommendations for a friend or a book club or a relative or whatever. We will do our best to find you your next great read. You can submit those questions either via email to getbooked at bookriot.com or you can drop them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site for each episode. If you have a time-sensitive question and you're hoping to hear back by a certain date, please put time-sensitive, all caps, either the first line of the form or the subject line of the email and the date that you're hoping to hear back by, and we will do our best. If we're not going to get to it on the show, though, we might shoot you an email so you can keep an eye out for those. All right, we've got loads of feedback today. Let's see. From Laura... For the person in Thursday's episode that wanted YA with someone that loved dance, I just finished Love Boat Taipei by Abigail Hing Wen about an Asian-American girl who feels much more American and is not pleased when her parents sent her to Taiwan for a summer program. She just wants to dance. Her parents want her to go to med school. Well, that sounds fun. And from Elizabeth says, for the reader looking for essay collections by authors who are not straight white men, I think Minor Feelings by Kathy Park Hong is exactly what you're looking for. She's a poet originally, so her writing is really beautiful and precise, and she's grappling with different aspects of Asian American life. And then for the reader looking for something to escape into, I'd suggest The Starless Sea by Erin Morgenstern. Super immersive and ornate aspects of fantasy and fairy tale folklore. And then Maria says, uh, Danielle asked for books like The Secret History and The Diviners, but summary, I would recommend The Raven Cycle by Maggie Stiefvater. The first book is The Raven Boys. And then there is Feedback for Kaz, Disfigured on Fairy Tales, Disability, and Making Space by Amanda LaDuke. 
And that is all our feedback. Thank you, all listeners, for that. All right. I'm going to read our first question, and then we will take a little break for our first sponsor, and then we will start recommending. First question is from Emily, who says, I need a book for my book club, preferably fiction. We made the terrible decision of reading both of Sally Rooney's novels back to back, and now nothing seems nearly as good as her complex characters and the painfully relatable interactions between them. We are all in our early slash mid-twenties and enjoy reading books that relate to the painful growing pains of figuring out adulthood and who we are as adults. We love Sally Rooney's engrossing dialogue, straightforward writing style, and her well-developed coming-of-age intellectuals. In the past, we've enjoyed books by Celeste Ng, Ann Patchett, and Lydia Davis. All right, so let's hear from a sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds. College student Blake and her girlfriend have one goal, join the exclusive sorority that promises connections to a network of trailblazing women of color. Now, Ella's acceptance is a sure thing. She's a daughter of a Serena Society alum. After all, Blake, on the other hand, lacks Ella's pedigree and her confidence. Luckily, though really unluckily, she finds courage at the bottom of a liquor bottle. When she drinks, she's bold and funny, and as pledging intensifies, so does Blake's drinking. Ella assures her that she's fine, partying hard is what it takes, but with her future on the line, Blake must decide how far she's willing to go to achieve glittering dreams of success. Now, just so you know, Jazz Hammonds is the 2023 winner of the Critics Scott King John Steptoe Award for New Talent for We Deserve Monuments, and We Deserve Monuments was an Amazon Best Books of the Year and Barnes & Noble Best Books of the Year for 2023, so suffice to say, y'all should check this new one out. Thanks again to Thirsty by Jazz Hammonds for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Sourcebooks Landmark. So King Solomon says something very interesting to his son before he dies, and that is, quote, don't let the white man take the house, end quote. These, as I just mentioned, are King Solomon's last words to his son as he dies. Now, all four Solomon siblings must return to North Carolina to save the kingdom, their ancestral home, and 200 acres of land from a development company. Told in alternating viewpoints, Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris is a searing portrait of the power of family and letting go of things that no longer serve you, exploring the burden of familial expectations, the detriment of miscommunication, and the lessons and legacies we pass on to our children. It's an explosive and emotional story of four siblings, each fighting their own personal battle, because who isn't, who return home in the wake of their father's death. Make sure to check out Long After We Are Gone by Tara Shelton Harris. And thanks again to Sourcebooks Landmark for sponsoring this episode. All right. Coming of age intellectuals, painfully relatable, et cetera, et cetera. Amanda, (laughs) what do you got? I picked Five Little Indians by Michelle Good, which comes with trigger warnings for rape, child abuse, and racism. I don't know if this is going to be painfully relatable to you, Emily. However, it is painfully relatable to many. So this is about five kids who are leaving a residential school as students in Vancouver in the 1960s. So they are all indigenous and their experiences in the residential schools are exactly what you would expect if you're familiar with the history of those. They are terrible. And you're following these five kids as they leave and go off into the world to kind of make their way. And the way that they are, the way that they leave is different for every kid. Like one of them escapes, one of them uh, ages out and is given like $5 in a bus ticket and that's it. 
And so they leave in different kinds of ways. Some of them find each other out in the city after they get out of the residential school. Some of them don't. And you're just following them as they basically come of age. And I picked this because, well, Sally Rooney's books are about this time period of life, you know, like coming out of high school, going into college, figuring out who you are. But they come from such a very privileged back, like literally, like Marianne is rich. That is her character type, being rich and sad. And while that is relatable and they are very intellectual, I feel like there's just so many different ways to come of age. You know, there's so many different experiences out there and different intersections of experiences that inform how a person grows up and what those really like kind of formative years are like once you leave high school. And so for these kids, high school itself wasn't wasn't a, you know, like, quote unquote, normal kind of experience. It was a one very specific experience that has affected their ability to launch or not into what most people would consider success or not. And so you're with them as they struggle. You're with them as they try to deal with the trauma of what happened in these residential schools. They can't get back to their families. Some of them don't even remember where they came from, like the towns or the cities where they came from. And I'm, it sounds, you know, as I'm saying it, it sounds like very rough and hard to get through. And it is, it's a tough read, but it ends, a lot of these stories end with a lot of hope. Like they get involved in politics, they have families, they go on to uh, become like really whole integrated people. Some of them, not all of them, but some of them do. So it's just a really varied, since there are five kind of POV characters, a varied look at what becoming a quote unquote grown up can look like for, for different kinds of people. So that's Five Little Indians by Michelle Good. I picked Make Your Home Among Strangers by Janine Capocruset, who Amanda talked about recently, the, her nonfiction. Um, but this is her debut novel, and it is like the first chapter is literally painful and relatable. And also like, you know, a window for me because I don't come from the same background as the author. But it is about the main character, Lizette, is the daughter of Cuban immigrants. And she's grown up in Miami. And she is the first in her family to graduate from high school. She's got an older sister who's like newly a mom and also sadly newly single. And uh, she secretly, like on the DL, applies to an extremely fancy liberal arts college and gets accepted. And her parents are so angry at her leaving Miami. And then to like top it all off, just before she's supposed to start school, her parents get divorced. Her father sells their house. And like now her mom and her older sister and she are like struggling to figure out like where the heck do they live now? Um, and also time to go to college. Like what? <laughs> so she is on campus and she is, you know, dealing with being a minority, which is in this like very intellectual and elite setting, which obviously is very complicated for her. But then also when she goes back home, she goes back home for a surprise Thanksgiving visit and like doesn't feel at home there either because of the feelings her family has about how she's choosing to come of age and become an adult. And then there's this extra complication. There is a thing that happens that gets on the news, uh, a child whose mother and he were fleeing Cuba on a raft, has landed in Miami. And now everybody's following the story and it's the whole thing. And, you know, I, I wonder what that was based on. can't imagine. <laughs> um, and so this is like already, like and I said, I'm just in the first chapter, but it's already so the character interactions are so complicated and so real. And like Amanda was saying, like, this is like a very different kind of coming of age story from Sally Rooney. But the emotional heart, I think, is like it's all like we're all just trying to figure stuff out and we're coming from different places. And what does that look like? What is that process like? So I think it is very in the realm of like Celesting, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I think there will be tons for your book club to, to talk about. 
So again, that's Make Your Home Among Strangers by Janine Capo Cruset. All right. Question two is great. It's just best underrated tour novella? Question mark? From Chantel. And when I put this question in the agenda, Jen typed out like, oh, I got so many. So like we love this question. Love it so much. I picked Sisters of the Vast Black by Lena Rather, which I love because it's nuns in space. Nuns in space. So it's like set in the kind of near future after Earth has, you know, destroyed itself as Earth is wont to do (laughs) in a variety of like civil wars and nuclear attacks and disease and all this kind of stuff. And humanity has populated outer reaches of space, not like too far out, but like in the solar system. Uh, and I think a few outside of our solar system. And and the Catholic Church sends nuns and priests out into, like, the black, as the title implies, to do, you know, the work of God. But since they are so far away from Earth and so far into the future and removed from, like, what people now would consider the Catholic Church to be, their their work is not kind of what you would expect from nuns. Like, one of them is a biologist, one of them is a doctor. They go out and tend to, like, this, like treat the sick, deliver babies, do marriages, a lot of things that priests would typically do because there aren't that many priests left. And it's the middle of space. So, like, if you can't find a priest, here's some nuns. They're going to do it for you. The interesting thing about this book is that the ships are alive in that like Doctor Who whale episode kind of way where they're bred to house humans, but they also have their own biological drive. So when the book opens, the nuns are having this like theological debate because their ship has entered the reproductive cycle of its life and is like looking for a mate and is starting to behave kind of weird and they can't decide if it's like theologically sound or not to let a ship mate because it's like a consecrated sacred vessel but also <laughs> it's a being with its own you know desires and like what do we do you know so like they're having this real hilarious conversation about it it quickly becomes not hilarious in the book because they discover like a vast government conspiracy a lot of people die nuns come and save the day one of them has a secret identity it's just so much happens in such a little amount of time because it's like 170 pages because it's a novella but man nuns in space right i just watched warrior nun on netflix i'm on like a big nun kick right now was it good It's okay. (laughs) No, but it's terrible in a great way. Mm. However, valid criticism, like in the very first episode, the whole show is based on this girl who is a quadriplegic who dies and is resurrected when they stick this angel's halo in her back because of, you know, plot points. And so it's like disability magical cure in Mm. like episode one. So that is a thing that people do not like totally understandable. It's based on like an awful sexist comic book, but it's such a romp and really fun and very distracting if that's the sort of thing. If you want to watch nuns who are really good at martial arts, beat up a lot of men. That's like, this is, that's what you want to watch. Just skip (laughs) episode one. It's fine. Just skip it. Anyway, Sisters of the Vast Black, Nuns in Space, go read it. Thank you. <laughs> I once was at the beach while a group of nuns was also at the beach. <laughs> and I got to see their nun habits. Story. And it was really cool. I was just like, oh, yeah, like nun trip nuns. to the beach. Like, I didn't know that was a thing. <laughs> but of course, like, why wouldn't they go to the beach? Nuns doing anything except being like in sister act. I'm always yeah. like, oh, right. <laughs> like, you're just people. <laughs> oh, nun tangents. That's the show nun title right there. Tangents. <laughs> Okay, yeah. So, all right. I like I both love and kind of hate this question because mm. as I discovered when I went poking around, I have already talked about all of my favorite tour novellas on this show, enough to the point where like I probably shouldn't repeat. So, underrated, at least not by me. Like that's not a thing that I I don't know how to answer that. So, instead, I'm cheating. I'm cheating twice. <laughs> I'm not just cheating once, I'm cheating twice. I'm giving you the tour novella that I haven't read yet that I'm most excited to read, 
And then one that's coming out in September because it's great. And I haven't been hearing enough buzz about it, and I don't want it to be Mm. pre-underrated. So the one that I'm most excited to read is The Gurkha and the Lord of Tuesday by Saad Z. Hussain. And he wrote Jin City, which is a really bonkers, rompy, fascinating banana pants, like, gin story retelling that I loved. And I, like, I don't know why I haven't read this yet. It's just, you know, pure oversight. I just haven't gotten around to it. But it's another story about gin, which is great. I love, love it, love it. And this one includes an AI. And I love when people mash fantasy and sci-fi together. So I, like, this is moving it up to the top of my list. Thanks for the question and the reminder. So again, that's the one I'm most excited to read next, which is The Gurkha and the Lord of Tuesday by Saad Z. Hussein. And then the, my shout out is to Burning Roses by S.L. Huang, which comes out in September and is, talk about a mashup. It mashes up Chinese folktales with European folktales and like Little Red Riding Hood is like a Latina sharpshooter and Goldilocks is like this toxic con artist and... Ho Yi is an archer who's also trans and like there's just like amazing things going on. It's also really emotional and there's lots of triggers, including child abuse and violence against animals. So like it's heavy lifting, but it's also really, really good. So again, that's Burning Roses by S.L. Huang and that comes out in September. All the tour novellas for everyone. <laughs> okay, question three is from Shayna, who says, I'm looking for fiction slash nonfiction about non-cis slash non-trans people and characters. I'm interested in people or characters who don't feel they fit in the gender binary. Amanda, what you got? Okay, I picked I Wish You All the Best by Mason Deaver, which has a trigger warning for envyphobia. And this is about a kid named Ben who is just, what is, what's the, what's the Tumblr term from like 26, a cinnamon roll. Ben is such a cinnamon roll. Remember that? Remember when we used to say things like the kids say? That was a long time ago. Anyway, so uh, this comes with a trigger warning because when the book opens, Ben is coming out as non-binary to their parents and their parents have a really terrible reaction and throw them out on the street. So it's uh, like very jarring at the beginning. But that is uh, a very little bit of this whole book about Ben's life. So or Ben's senior year of high school, which, you know, when you're 18, feels like your whole life. So Ben has to go make contact with Hannah, who's their older sister, um, who also left home pretty young, like when she was still a teenager, I think. And Ben and Hannah have not been in contact for like a decade. And Ben has like feelings about Hannah kind of abandoning them with their not great parents, but they have nowhere else to go. So they call Hannah and they go move in with Hannah and Hannah's husband, Thomas, who Ben's never met and who teaches at this like new high school. And so Ben has to start over. They get enroll in this high school where Thomas teaches. Ben's like very shy and like into anime and drawing and kind of introverted and is like really involved in, I guess, the this book's version of Tumblr, like online spaces. <laughs> I don't know why I keep talking about Tumblr. <laughs> 2017, Amanda. Oh my gosh. Um, Listen, Tumblr's still a thing. Is it? Oh yeah. Really? I thought mm-hmm. Tumblr went away after no. all that. The part. Okay. The more you know, Rainbow goes here. (laughs) And so Ben goes to school and meets this kid named Nathan, who's like very funny and charismatic and outgoing. And despite Ben's like inability to make jokes or smile with their face parts, uh, Nathan is like very interested in Ben. And I'm sure you can see where this is going. Like they make friends and then there are feelings. It's very angsty. But like mostly the book is just about Ben going to therapy and Ben getting close with their sister again. 
and dealing with what happened with their parents and figuring out what they want to do with their life when they graduate high school because you know they don't live at home anymore and like do they want to go to college do they want to stay with their sister and like get a job maybe some combination of all of that and what are the resources for a child who is not homeless now because they're staying with their sister but like whose home life has been really disrupted just at the moment that they're supposed to launch off into adulthood that's really tough and so it's like all of these really kind of real life obstacles and relationships and you know life it's just life it is just the life of this kid who is the sweetest little squishy marshmallow who i love and would like to adopt so that is i wish you all the best by mason deaver i love a squishy marshmallow cinnamon just, roll just just want to poke you know just, oh, <laughs> just want to hug just squish your squish your cheeks just oh <sighs> all right i have a fantasy for you with a gender fluid character and i enjoyed reading this so much that i immediately borrowed book two from the library because it's a two book series and both are out you're welcome mm. <laughs> the first is mask of shadows by lindsay miller and oh i guess i want to say up front that this is not an own voices story however i did read several critical reviews that were like yes the gender fluidity representation is solid so that's nice. Also, this is not a book about the struggle of being gender fluid. This is a book about Sal, who is an orphan in this like medieval fantasy land, but that also has like tons of brown people in it. Side note. And they're an orphan. And the way that they like survive now is they're part of this like thief gang. So, you know, they like rob carriages, nobles who are in carriages and like take their jewelry and not it's not a Robin Hood situation. They like have to turn it over to the boss and and the boss like just gives them barely enough to live on, et cetera, et cetera. But Sal's story is very sad. Sal is maybe the only surviving person from a country that has now been absorbed into a bigger country. There was a big civil war. There was horrible magic used. And Sal's country was like decimated by these horrible magical creatures. And Sal believes that it was deliberate, that that their country was like targeted by the nobles from the other part of the Civil War. And they just want revenge. Like all they want in their life is to find the nobles responsible and kill them. And then they find a flyer, a literal flyer <laughs> for an, a, like a competition to become the queen's next assassin. And they're like, great, perfect. Like I'll go to court. I'll kill a bunch of people to and prove that I can be an assassin and then I'll get to kill these people who it's like, like all I want in life is to kill them. And so Sal like joins the competition. They make it in and it's lovely because they are surrounded by people who like accept their gender fluidity for the most part. And you know, some people ask, they're like how do I address you? And Sal's like, well, if I'm dressed as a female, call me she. And if I'm dressed as male, call me he. And if you can't tell, call me they. Like, it's pretty simple. Why is this hard? <laughs> and like, for the most part, you know, people are on board. There are a few who through ignorance or like jerkitude are not. But the book is very clear that like, that's not, that's no bueno. Um, but the struggle that Sal is having is like to stay alive and kill other people before they can kill them. And it is real fun, which is a weird thing to say about a book that has a lot of killings. And like there are really heavy parts. Sal has some PTSD from the war and there are some flayings, which is gross. It's really gross. 
But there's also a really lovely love interest, and there's some really fun, like, court shenanigans. And I love a thief-turned-assassin story. Like, there's nothing I don't love about that, generally speaking. And this book is just, like, it's real a page-turner. And I just started the second one last night, and I'm already, like, in it. So, again, that's Mask of Shadows by Lindsay Miller. All right. Question four is anonymous. And anonymous says, I'm in a strange place and then I consider myself a sci-fi fan because I watch a lot of sci-fi, but I actually haven't read much of it. I've read some classics like Dune, which I love, and Foundation, which I did not, but not much else aside from a lot of Star Wars novels and Star Trek fan fiction. A few sci-fi books on my radar are Nine Fox Gambit, Ancillary Justice, A Memory Called Empire, and The Traitor by Rue Cormorant. I'm more interested, I think, in space opera or at least sci-fi that isn't too scientific or mathy. Let me aside here. If you don't want sci-fi, that's too mathy nine fox gambit is yeah. for you because that is just an entirely math based physics. it's so weird okay moving on but i'm not really sure i also would like it if you could recommend to me some gay male male sci-fi i found a lot of queer women sci-fi which is awesome but haven't been able to find any sci-fi dealing with queer men which i find a little strange the only one i found was bonds of brass which i picked up because people were saying it was finpo fan fiction did not love Bonds of Brass. Please no comics or graphic novels. I'm not sure about YA Rex unless you know of a YA that is particularly good and more on the mature side of things. Okay, I will keep going. I picked We Are the Ants by Sean David Hutchinson, which comes with trigger warnings for homophobia and suicide. And this is YA, but it is like grown. You know what I'm saying? Like grown in spirit. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. It is like a lot. It's very heavy. So this is about a kid named Henry who has spent years being occasionally abducted by aliens as happens i guess so say some people on the sci-fi channel i don't know um and so the aliens give him an ultimatum at, when the book opens and the ultimatum is the world is going to end in 144 days and if you would like to stop it you just need to push this big red button and henry is like you know what i don't know if i want to do that i don't know if i want to push that big red button because henry's life is super hard uh his mom is not having an easy time she's a waitress struggling to make ends meet um, his brother is not working as a high school dropout who like just got a girl pregnant and his grandmother has Alzheimer's and he was really close to her. Also, Henry's boyfriend died of suicide the year before. And so he's still like very much in grief about that. But like Henry's a big science kind of kid, kind of nerdy science kid. And so he's making all of these like pros and cons lists and trying to face it very logically. And like, is humanity worth saving? Which, you know, is not just fine. Like, that's not a heavy question to put on the shoulders of a child. It's totally fine. And that's what he's doing, like weighing the pain of life and the joy of life and like the way that walking through the world as a human person comes with both. And like your whole purpose, you know, for being here is finding the balance between those two things. But is that ultimately worth it? It depends. And it depends on the person. And right now that person is Henry and Henry has a big red button. So like, is it going to push it? That's that's the story. That's my story. So there you go. That's We Are the Ants by Sean David Hutchinson. All right. I have a male male sci-fi story for you. It is space opera. And there are five books in the series. So if you like it, there's a bunch. The first is called Chaos Station. That is also the name of the series. It's by Jen Burke and Kelly Jensen. Side note, not book rights Kelly Jensen. I was wondering. Different <laughs> Kelly Jensen. It's like, how have I not heard about this? Turns out there's more than one with the exact same spelling of Jensen. Who knew? Uh, we know. Now we know. And this, I will say, has some pretty explicit PTSD episodes in it. So if that's a thing for you, just be aware going in. But I, in the before times, like 5,000 years ago, I went to a romance convention and was like doing that thing where you just go around looking to see who will give you a book. And mm -hmm. I got this book and I read it on the plane home and was like, I didn't know 
that this kind of sci-fi existed, and I'm so glad now to have found it. And this was many years ago. There's been more queer sci-fi since then, but you're right, there's not a ton of male male. I don't know why. So the main characters in this, Felix and Xander, are both like former super soldiers. They were part of a government experiment. They're like enhanced in weird genetic ways. Like it's a whole thing. And it's been years since we they saw each other. They were like fighting a war with the aliens. The alien war is over and they have not seen each other in a long time. And one of them, Xander, is just kind of has been off the radar. Like Felix actually thinks he's dead. He just hasn't seen him for so long. Like nobody knows what happened to him. Felix, in the meantime, has like a crew and a ship and is like, you know, doing odd jobs, like trying to make ends meet. And then they get hired for a job. And when they go to pick up their employer, it's Xander. And Xander sees Felix and is instantly convinced that he's having like a PTSD episode because he keeps seeing Mm. people that aren't there. And so like first Felix has to be like, no, I'm real. Like, stop telling me I'm not real. I'm real. And it's it's a real shock to both of them. Then the mission that they're on is that there has been footage released of one of their squad, like, killing a bunch of people in a way that seems to be totally counter to what she would have wanted to have done if she was in her right mind. So they're like, we got to go find her and find out what's going on. And, of course, in the process, they find all these things out. There's, like, big, you know, government conspiracy stuff and all of this. But also they get reunited and, like, they have to, you know, work through all of their very heavy, complicated stuff um, to see if, like, can they, like, bring their relationship back from you know, where it's been broken for so many years. And it's like very, I have all the feelings about these two, like super duper space boyfriend feelings. Lots of of feelings. And I haven't, I will confess, I haven't read the rest of the series because, you know, it's hard to keep up with series is when you're reading a lot for work, but it's always on the back of my head, like one day I will get to them. So again, that's Chaos Station by Jen Burke and Kelly Jensen. And it is the first in the Chaos Station series. All right. It is time for another sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Avid Reader Press. So this next book is a really fun sounding mashup of different genres. There's a little time travel, a little romance, a little spy thriller action going on. So in the near future, a civil servant is offered the salary of her dreams and is shortly afterward told what project she'll be working on. A recently established government ministry is gathering quote unquote expats from across history to establish whether time travel is feasible for the body, but also for the fabric of space time. This is an exquisitely original and feverishly fun fusion of genres and ideas. The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley asks, what does it mean to defy history when history is living in your house? Colleen Bradley's answer is a blazing, unforgettable testament to what we owe each other in a changing world. It kind of gives Outlander meets Cloud Atlas or If the Time Traveler's Rife was written by Sally Rooney or Colson Whitehead. Make sure to check out The Ministry of Time by Colleen Bradley. And thanks again to Avid Reader Press for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. 
No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Okay, our next question is from Jessica, who says, I'm looking for a good LGBT read, but not a coming out story. I've been through the years of figuring out who I am and coming out to people. While that's an important part of my past, it's not part of my every day. I'm happily married and my wife is pregnant with our first baby. Yay, congratulations. I'm looking for a read where the main character just is gay. I read Starless Sea and loved it. Any type of fiction is fine, except short story or graphic novel. Amanda, what did you pick? I picked Foundry Side, uh, which is the first book in the Founders Trilogy by Robert Jackson Bennett. And I picked this because you mentioned you like Starless Sea, which is that kind of dreamy, epic kind of fantasy thing going on for it. And I think that Foundry Side will, will scratch that itch for you. Oh, and this comes with a trigger warning for slavery. The main character's name is Sansia, and she is a thief in this universe that is bait. I mean, it feels very Venetian, you know, like the city is run by what are they called merchant houses in that like 14th century Venice kind of way. And so she is a very good thief and part of an organized crime world. She gets hired on a job to break into Tavane, which is the city's uh, really heavily guarded warehouses on the docks and steal a little box for one of the merchant houses. She, of course, opens it like a dingus. because <laughs> That's always what they do. She opens it out of curiosity and discovers that the artifact within has like magical abilities. Which is not uncommon, like this whole universe is based on different, uh, a really specific and kind of complicated magical system. And she herself has a uh, body modification that gives her access to that system and she can manipulate it in really specific ways. And so when she finds this object, I'm not going to tell you what it is, she decides she's got to keep it. <laughs> because the only reason that the merchant house could have any use for this thing is to like, you know, take over the world and plunge humanity into darkness, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so Sansia is like, ooh, maybe, we just, maybe we're not going to do that. Maybe we're going to hang on to this. And so such begins her run for her life as the merchant house and other people who also want the thing start going after her. Also the cops, because while she was breaking into the warehouses to retrieve this item, she accidentally set the docks on fire, which is like not a good look. Uh, not subtle, not sneaky, the opposite of those things. And then, like, crime lords come after her. It's like a whole thing. She's got to make some unlikely allies. She's got to figure out how the thing works that she's stolen. Um, she has to undergo this, like, really big transformation of her own abilities. And along the way, one of the allies who she kind of p- picks up, you know, like, found family style, um, is a woman. Ooh, do I want to tell you her name? No, I'm going to let you. I'm going to let you wonder which character it is. One of the allies she picks up becomes her romantic interest. And a thing, zero things are made of it. It's just... And you, when this is over, elbow, elbow, like, <laughs> wink, wink, you know, 
And I just read the second book. The third book is not out yet. I think it comes out next year. I just read the second book. And the relationship is established more and explored more in book two. Um, But in book one, it's very much like, let's put a pin in that. And then when we're like not dead at the end of this, we'll see where that goes. But it's very obviously like that's going to happen. And it does. Spoiler. So that's (laughs) Foundry Side by Robert Jackson Bennett. Nice. Uh, I picked The Affair of the Mysterious Letter by Alexis Hall, which is a extremely banana pants, fun, like multiverse fantasy, urban mystery. I don't even know. Like it's got all <laughs> of the things going on. It's also a Sherlock Holmes retelling. Like it's doing all of the things. And it's so much fun. It is about a captain named John Wyndham, who is our Watson in this situation. He is a soldier or a former soldier. He's also trans. He needs a place to live. He finds like a listing for lodgings and, you know, like signs up for it. And it turns out his new housemate is Shahrazad Haas. And she is our Holmes in this situation. She is like, pansexual I'm gonna go with like she's like has slept with vampires and like you know people of all different persuasions (laughs) and genders and like their sexuality is like the least important thing that's going on or their gender for that matter like they get hired to solve a case of blackmail against one of uh her former lovers And they get drawn into this, like, very complicated, multi-layered situation where they have to, like, go punch a shark. And there's, like, a fortress with an evil god who's taken over everything and, like, you know, Cthulhu kind of stuff. And everything is just so bananas and so much fun. It's so much fun. And the characters are just so enjoyable. Their relationship is very, like, bickery and collegial at the same time. You can tell by the end that they're, like, going to die for each other. But also, like, would you please stop ashing your pipe onto the coffee table or I will strangle you? Like, it's a very, (laughs) like, odd couple kind of thing. And I can't wait. There's supposed to be, I think, more books coming in this world. I really hope so. I need more. I need more. Uh, But it's really fun. And Alexis Hall, I just generally recommend. His books are great and all very extremely queer. So, again, that's The Affair of the Mysterious Letter by Alexis Hall. All right. Our next question is from Rihanna, who says, I love podcasts and recently listened to Noble Blood about Queen Ranavalona, the first. And I was fascinated. I love historical Regency fiction, Philippa Gregory, Alison Weir, Diana Gabaldon, but I could not find anything on this queen from Madagascar. I would love help of finding something, if not on her exactly, on any lesser known queens from elsewhere. Elizabeth Bathory, Empress Buzatan, I am up for it all. Okay, I am going to keep going. I picked um, a book called Empress Dowager Cixi, The Concubine Who Launched Modern China by Zheng Chang. Admittedly, this is not a lesser known queen. Like the Empress Dowager is probably the most the most famous ruler of China. But at the same time, I feel like people don't really know anything about her. So she ruled China from 1835 to the early 1900s, I think 1907 or 1908, and is really considered like responsible for bringing China into the modern era. She is popularly known as like a really despotic, very conservative kind of ruler. But in reality, and according to this book, that's not exactly true. So her story is fascinating. She, when she was 16, she was selected in like a a nationwide search for royal consorts. She was chosen to be one of the emperor's concubines. 
And then when he died, their five-year-old son took over the throne of China. And she immediately instituted a coup <laughs> against the, like, the regents who her husband had appointed and then made herself the actual ruler of China. Like She literally sat on a throne behind the throne, separated by a silk screen, and like ruled behind the throne. It just felt, I, lo- I just like love it. Like that is such a like flex. Like I'm just gonna <laughs> sit back here. You know you're actually you're paying attention to me. Um, but she um got she's the one who put an end to foot binding for women in China. She got rid of uh like a lot of the the executions that were by torture, like death by a thousand cuts. She got rid of that. She brought in railways, electricity, the telegraph, updated their military, and also like fought off Britain. Germany, Russia, the US, France, Japan, like all these people who were attempting to invade and, you know, did ultimately successfully uh, invade. But like, she is China's Queen Victoria. She reigned just as long and revolutionized her own country just as much, if not more than Victoria did. So she's a really fascinating person. And her personal life is also like hella dramatic. Like she fell in love with a eunuch. There was all kinds of like tragic consequences of that. Just bananas. A bananas life this woman had. So that's Empress Dowager Cixi by Jung Cheng. Nice. I have to read that immediately. It's so good. (laughs) She was so great. That's fantastic. Uh, I, any chance I get to recommend this book, I'm taken. So Empress, The Astonishing Reign of Nur Jahan by Ruby Lal. I don't think I've talked about it in at least a minute on the show. And it's so, it's exactly what you're looking for. I mean, you're looking for this queen from Madagascar. I'm sorry, I don't have anything there for you. But this is so great. So Nur Jahan basically ruled the Mughal Empire in the 1600s. And like, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I did not get taught that. And she's amazing. She was an architect. She was like a military commander. She was a hunter and like a master archer. She also basically ruled on behalf of Emperor Jahangir while he was still around because he had failing health and like maybe some mental deterioration and like just could not fulfill his job as emperor. So, like, she did the things. She led troops to battle. Like, she also, you know, bore him children and then, like, negotiated the very complicated issues of inheritance. And, yeah, she is fascinating. And we, like, at least here in the U.S., I don't, I was not taught much about strong Muslim women. I feel like I grew up with a lot of stereotypes around what it means to be a Muslim woman. And like this book makes it very clear that like Muslim women have a long history Mm. of being amazing and powerful. And that is important to read about. So again, that is Empress, The Astonishing Reign of Nur Jahan by Ruby Lal. Okay, our last question is from Carrie, who says, My wife and I have an awesome eight-year-old daughter. We have a number of picture books that reflect her two-mom family, but she's getting older, and I would love to find some chapter books for elementary-age kids that feature a character with two moms. Do you have any you can recommend? Amanda, what you got? Okay, I picked The Lotteries Plus One by Emma Donahue, which is, uh, I think, technically middle grade, but the main character is is nine years old. So I think that it would be fine for an eight-year-old uh, to read. And the reading level was not, I don't mean, I'm not a 10-year-old, so I don't know, but the reading level seemed okay to me for an eight-year-old. Um, so the main character's name is Sumac, which is just the hippiest name. I love it so much. Sumac is nine, and she lives with a very large family. Um, Her family has four parents, a lesbian couple and a gay couple, and children both adopted and biological, lots of pets. They all live together in this huge house that they call the Camel Lottery. 
because they the two parents sets like the the two sets of parents both won the lottery and with the money like they met to get the money to claim their prizes became fast friends and decided that with the money they were going to set up this kind of communal house with their families and blend their families and raise their kids like that so that's what they're doing all of the kids have amazing names like like sumac and various other herbs and spices i don't know <laughs> just like herby um and so that's what that's what's happening they are in this house living their life it's a big unruly very messy loving kind of chaotic chaotic good sort of family um and then they get this news that one of their grandfathers has dementia and is going to come to live with them and not just any of their grandparents of which they have several obviously but uh, they call him grumps because he does not approve capital d capital n capital a of his son's life and hasn't really communicated with his son in a long time and hasn't been a part of their life and so they're all very apprehensive about what this is going to be like Suma, Sumac has to give up her room to for Grumps to move into, and she like feels kind of weird about that. And she tries to be nice to him, but it's hard to be nice to somebody who like clearly and openly disapproves of how you live, not just of your family in and of itself, but also like the weird stuff that you eat and like your messy rescue dog who peed on his slippers and like all of this kind of stuff. So he's tough to get along with. And Sumek is like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find this dude somewhere else to live because I cannot deal with you. And so that's the message she goes on is like to find him a home where he will belong and like get off her case and get off her family's case. So it's this uh, kind of family drama that is so lovely. Like it is so diverse and multicultural and Grumps like comes in, which like, by the way, this unrelated but when i have grandchildren if i have grandchildren i really want to be called grumps like not for this reason but just because i think that's adorable i love it so much and like grumps comes in and is so critical of the way that they do things but the family is so impervious like they're just like i mean you live here so eat your quinoa and shut up you know (laughs) like this is just what are you gonna do about it you know nothing and so he comes in as this like specter of intolerance and anger but it's fine like it turns out like it's fine you know the love of this family really overcomes his like grumpiness, basically. So that's The Lotteries Plus One by Emma Donahue. I have a chapter book for you that looks super cute. I've read other books by this author. It's from Zeta Elliott, who wrote, if you'll recall, Dragons in a Bag, which I am obsessed with. Um, This one is called Phantom Unicorns. It's the fourth in her City Kids series. And the illustrator is Charity Russell. And it is about a young black boy named Q who has moved from California to New York City with his two moms and baby sister. He's going to see his dad on the weekend, but the visit gets canceled because his dad gets arrested on a peace march. And like, side note, this book was written in 2017, still relevant Mm -hmm. to our lives. Like, Mm -hmm. hello. But his dad sends a special gift that sends him on an adventure. And then this like tapestry comes to life in a nearby museum. And they have to, he and his new friends have to battle a villain who's like 500 years old. And it's like a whole magical fantasy adventure situation. And also he's got two moms. So I feel like this is definitely something that could work and be super fun. And I, you know, there's more in the series. Um, This was the one that was specifically called out as having a main character with two moms. But, you know, he might show up in other books. I'm not sure. I don't have the series, so I don't know. You can find out. But Zeta Elliott is great. She's a Black author who has just done, like, fantastic work in kids' books. And so I'm really excited to have another series of hers to recommend. So again, that's The Phantom Unicorn. It's book four in the City Kids series. And the illustrator is Charity Russell. And that is our show. Woohoo! 
Oh, that was a fun one. That was mm-hmm. a fun one. Thanks for all your great questions. Thanks also to our audio editor, Jen Zink, who makes us sound as good as we possibly can. All other issues are ours. Sorry, Jen. <laughs> Thank you all for listening. If you feel like leaving a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts, we always appreciate that. It helps other folks to find the show. Thank you to our sponsors for helping make our show possible. And in between shows, you can find us on social media. Amanda, where are you? I'm on Instagram at I am Amanda Nelson. And I am also mostly on Instagram these days at I am Jen IRL. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And we will talk to you next time. <laughs>